Hello and welcome to Hugh's Joy of Food, a bite-sized podcast celebrating all that's amazing about everything edible, from the simplest snack to the fanciest feast. I'm Hugh Smithson-Wright, and this week on Hugh's Joy of Food, I review a fabulous mostly vegan feast at Tendril in Soho, tell a listener what to pack for a perfect picnic in Ask Hugel, and delicious comforting crumpets are my treat of the week. Each week on Hugh's Joy of Food, I review a restaurant in some way, whether it's one I've eaten at recently, a takeaway, or a make-at-home meal kit. First, a disclaimer. My job as a restaurant PR and consultant means that I'm paid to promote the interests of the handful of restaurants I represent. If I feature a client on this podcast, I'll make that clear, like I do on my social media channels, and in all cases, I'll make it clear if all or any part of a meal I review was complimentary. You can rest assured that everywhere I review, I recommend. This show is about the joy of food, so if you're looking for vicious eviscerations, this probably isn't the podcast for you. With that out of the way, it's time for this week's review. For some years now, the Sun and 13 Cantons pub on Great Pulteney Street in Soho has had something of a reputation for playing host to residencies of anything from a few weeks to several months by chefs and nascent restaurant concepts which have gone on to achieve great things. It's a great idea, enabling new talents to try their hand at running a bricks-and-mortar restaurant without the risk and to refine and develop a style of service which they might then go on to deliver in their own premises. The latest restaurant to take up residency, postponed from last year for, well, obvious reasons, is Tendril, which bills itself as a mostly vegan kitchen. The chef is Rishim Sachdeva, a name that's new to me, but whose CV speaks of stints at places as prestigious as Chilton Firehouse and the Fat Duck, so I went expecting good things. Full disclosure, I was invited for a complimentary lunch at Tendril by my friend Paul, a fellow restaurant PR who was interested to hear what I thought of his client Rishim's discovery menu, six savoury courses and a pudding of the day for an extremely reasonable £24, if you're paying of course. There was no expectation of a review, but, spoiler alert, I was so impressed that I wanted to share the experience. To start with that slightly confusing, mostly vegan moniker, what this actually translates as is almost entirely vegan, except for one or two dishes on the menu which use dairy, because Risham himself likes a little dairy himself every so often. The style of cooking is innovative and international, borrowing variously from Mexican, Japanese, French, Italian and Middle Eastern cuisines to create dishes which are boldly flavoured, exciting to eat and very easy on the eye. As well as the Discovery menu, which is available as both a mostly vegan and fully vegan version of which we ordered one of each, there's an a la carte selection of snacks, small plates, large plates and sides, priced from under a fiver to £16. This is a good option if you only want one or two dishes, but to be honest, I think you'd be mad not to go for the discovery menu when it works out at under £4 per plate for some truly exceptional food. I took my friend Dominic, a devout carnivore who's very much open to having his culinary horizons broadened. Settled in at our table in the gorgeous green tiled dining room, we started with a colourful plate of heirloom tomatoes with fava bean miso and pickled ginger and a little puff pastry tart with smoked aubergine, preserved lemon and tahini. Heirloom tomatoes are a type of tomato that grow in various shapes, sizes and colours, and this was a lovely medley of them, vivid red, yellow and green fruit chopped into chunks, decorated with little dots of the nutty miso, almost like a mayonnaise, with slivers of pickled ginger for acidity. 
The smoked aubergine dish was really baba ganoush by another name, and a very good baba ganoush at that, the flaky puff pastry the perfect vehicle for it. Like the ginger with the tomatoes, the preserved lemons brought a welcome sharp note to contrast with the smokiness of the pureed aubergine and nutty tahini. Clever stuff, and I could happily have eaten twice as much of it. The next dish, I've decided after much deliberation, cogitation and digestion, was my favourite of the meal, if only by a narrow margin. A saucer-sized purple corn tostada, a flat crisp tortilla, came topped with a generous layering of broad bean guacamole, Jerusalem artichokes which looked just like flakes of white fish, pique de gallo, a salsa of chopped tomato and onion, and a couple of slices of vivid green jalapeno. Everything about this worked in harmony, the crunch of the tostada against the softness of the toppings, the sweetness of the artichoke against the heat of the jalapeno, and I just loved it. Dominic's favourite dish, which I have to say would also have been mine had it not been for that tostada, came next. An extra dish kindly sent in addition to the discovery menu by Rishin, purple sweet potatoes in a sticky miso glaze, sprinkled with sesame seeds and thinly sliced radishes on a giant puffed cracker. I can see why Rishin wanted to show off this dish as it was, pardon the pun, a cracker. The wonderfully rich tangy miso glaze gave the sweet potatoes a teriyaki feel, and as well as being utterly delicious, it was just really fun to eat, breaking up the cracker and scooping up the glazed potatoes to gobble greedily. It was at this point that we got to try the one non-vegan dish on the menu, baked brie, which Rishim told us he makes himself, which I thought was very impressive, on seeded bread, topped with a cloud of mascarpone and a heady, fragrant truffle paste. There's never anything not to love about truffle brie, and this is as fine a piece of cheese on toast as I've ever eaten. The alternative from the vegan menu, char-grilled cauliflower with smoked maple, kimchi and raisins, was perfectly lovely, but if you're not vegan yourself, then you'd be mad to choose this over Rishim's brilliant brie. The last savoury course, and if you're thinking, blimey, they must have been pretty full by now, then you're right, was the one large plate of the menu, ratatouille with basil puree and broccoli. Like everything which had preceded it, this was great, the ratatouille a hearty coarse consistency with a little chilli heat, nicely counterbalanced by the bowl of herb-flecked quinoa taboulet served on the side. Looking at the a la carte menu, for £14 you could order this dish by itself and it would make a perfect one-course lunch for one. Last but not least was pudding of the day, although there were actually two choices, so of course we had both. Sticky toffee pudding was as gooey, fruity and rich as it should be. Carrot cake, meanwhile, was feather light and sandwiched between thick layers of soft icing. Both came bathing in a pool of light, sweet custard, something of a vegan miracle considering its principal ingredients are usually milk and eggs. Drinks-wise, there's a concise and very reasonably priced wine and drinks list from which you can order at your table, or if there's nothing you fancy on there, you can order anything you like from the bar in the pub and pay separately. We drank a delightful Chenin Blanc from the list, a bargain at £22. This was a really impressive meal from a clearly very talented chef, and I left vowing to return again and often while Tendril's still in residency, which I'm told should be at least for another six months. Had we been paying for everything, two discovery menus, that extra sweet potato dish plus drinks and service, which we did pay for, the bill would have been under £90 for two, which is just unbelievable value for this quality and quantity of food. Even if the prices were to go up significantly, and it might seem an odd thing to say, but I do think the food here is underpriced, this would still be firmly on my list of places you should try. With many chefs and restaurateurs finally cottoning on to the fact that veganism has long since stopped being a trend and is now simply a way of life for a great many people, more and more menus are featuring more and more vegan dishes. 
Tendril sets the bar very high indeed for just how good those dishes can and should be. For all information, visit Tendril Kitchen, that's T-E-N-D-R-I-L Kitchen, dot co, dot UK. Each week, I answer a listener's burning culinary question in Ask Hugel. This week, it's the turn of Sarah from St Helens, who says, Hey Hugel, when you talked about gins and tins on Treat of the Week recently, you said that they were perfect for picnics, and I agree. But it got me to thinking that I don't really know what else makes a perfect picnic, and with some nice weather hopefully on the horizon making picnics possible, I thought who better to ask than you. Can you help? Well, Sarah... Thank you both for your great question and your kind words. Like you, I'm also feeling optimistic about the weather and hoping I'll be able to enjoy at least a few picnics before autumn comes. When weather permits, there's really nothing nicer than packing a picnic and heading to the park, beach, garden or indeed any outdoor space you happen to have access to with family, friends or even by yourself. But what, as Sarah asks to pack, what makes the perfect picnic? In a nutshell, For me, the perfect picnic combines quantity, quality and convenience. Quantity, because you don't want anyone going hungry. Quality, because, well, you want to eat nice things. And convenience, because although I've been to some admittedly lovely but very elaborate picnics where setting up and serving took longer than the actual eating, really, what you want is food that takes minimal to no preparation and is easy to serve and eat and to clear up after. I'll be honest with you, Sarah. I genuinely think the best picnic is one you forage from the supermarket, or if you're feeling fancy from a deli or market, but the basic principle remains the same. Buy plenty of food, of the best quality you can afford, that's ready or nearly ready to eat. Charcuterie is always a good place to start. Depending on how many of you there are, either pick up a couple of packets of sliced chorizo and prosciutto, say, or one of those packs of mixed cured meats you'll find in the same aisle. If you're shopping at a deli or a supermarket deli counter, you can ask them to make you up a selection of sliced meats to delight your picnic-going pals. Cocktail sausages are always a winner, either meat or corn, which, despite being a meat-eater, I've recently become really partial to. Some cooked chicken's nice. If you're able to get your hands on some hot rotisserie chicken, that's fantastic, but if you can only get some cooked chicken wings or sliced roast chicken, then that'll do just fine. Cold poached salmon fillets are a lovely picnic dish, especially if you remember to pack a jar of hollandaise or tartar sauce to serve them with. No picnic's complete without a scotch egg, but I'd skip those little egg bites you find in the party food section. They tend to taste of nothing much, and the joy of a scotch egg is that it's got a whole egg in the middle. Sainsbury's and Waitrose, and quite possibly others that I've yet to discover, now sell fancy scotch eggs with soft yolks like you'd find in a gastropub. These are great if you can get them, but if you can't, don't worry. Good old-fashioned scotch eggs with rock-hard yolks will do just fine. Where there's meat, the law of picnics says there has to be cheese, but don't faff about putting together a cheese board, even though after last episode's answer on how to put the perfect one together, you should certainly have the skills. No, ease is the order of the day here, so you want anything that's either sliced or ready portioned, or even dairyly triangles to be eaten by pinching off the tip and squeezing the cheese directly onto a biscuit, or just straight into your mouth. Most supermarkets, at least in the summer months, now stock entire ranges of picnic food which perfectly fits the brief. 
Stuffed vine leaves, mini empanadas, pakoras, marinated squid, vegetable skewers, chicken satay sticks, kofta, marinated prawns, roasted vegetables. The list goes on, as should your filling of your basket. The one thing I would recommend making yourself, which takes only a minimal amount of forward planning, is sandwiches. Supermarket sandwiches, and even those from some cafes, are often so fridge cold that they taste of absolutely nothing and can cost the earth. Far better to get some good bread or rolls and butter and fill them yourself. I'm not at all embarrassed to admit that I love a ready-made sandwich filler like chicken and bacon, egg mayonnaise, coronation chicken, or my absolute favourite seafood cocktail. But you do you. Bung in a bag or two of premium crisps. Don't bother with dips, they're both too much mess and too much hassle, and that's your savouries done. So what about sweets? Well, if you're in a public park, there'll probably be an ice cream van. But if there isn't, then a box of delicious donuts or individual cakes will finish things off very nicely. I'm also mad for those gorgeous tubs of mini desserts that you get in Marks and Spencer, like Rocky Road, Mini Millionaire's Shortbread and the best, albeit calorifically worst, sinfully syrupy mini flapjacks. If they're in season, some big fat strawberries and a small pot of that divine extra extra thick double cream for dipping them in is heavenly, and you don't need bowls or spoons to serve strawberries and cream this way. Apart from your gins in tins, or whatever you fancy drinking, the one non-food item I'd recommend always taking is a packet of baby wipes. Baby wipes can be used as napkins to wash hands, clean up spills on clothes, wipe down any packaging that's got greasy or oily. You get the picture. So versatile. Pop a packet of those in your bag, Sarah, and Bob's your uncle. Speaking of bags, unless you've both got one and can be bothered to carry it, don't worry about taking a heavy picnic hamper. A tote bag or cool bag is all you need and is much easier to carry home. Likewise, forget about taking glassware or metal cutlery. Paper cups will do perfectly if indeed you need them at all, and ready-prepared food should mean you won't need cutlery, although you might want to take some cocktail sticks or skewers for anyone who's squeamish or fussy about fingering shared food. However many or few of you there are, you can never have too many blankets. While everyone will start off sitting up, as they get fuller they'll want to relax and stretch out like a snake to digest their food, so always pack at least twice as much ground covering as you think you'll need. As with your hamper, don't worry about this being anything especially fancy or acquiring something new if you don't already have it. Any old beach towel, throw or eider down will do absolutely fine. Never forget your sun cream. Remember, you can burn even on overcast days and sunburn is never a good look. And most importantly of all, leave no trace. Recycle what you can, dispose of what you can't and take home any leftovers for later. So there you are, Sarah. A few pointers to what for me makes the perfect picnic. Quantity, quality, convenience and comfort are your friends when it comes to informal alfresco eating. The only friend that I can't help you with, I'm afraid, is the unpredictable British weather. If you'd like me to have a go at answering your food-related question, you can tweet me at hrwright or send me an email to hrw at hughrichardwright.com. For my final segment, Treat of the Week, each week I share something food or drink related that's been putting a smile on my face. This week, it's my ultimate comfort food, crumpets. When as happens every so often, my trousers start to pinch and my belly starts to peep out from under the hem of my t-shirts, the quickest and easiest way for me to lose a few pounds is to quit carbs for a while. 
Now, please don't think I'm giving diet advice here or recommending this course of action for anyone but myself, but I do find that banishing bread, potatoes and pasta works for me, and as much as I love all those foods, I genuinely don't find it difficult to ditch them for a few weeks until my clothes feel like they fit again. But if anything is guaranteed to make me crack, if one fabulous foodstuff can tempt me to break my vow, however temporary of abstinence from start, it's crumpets, those heavenly roundels of aerated batter which can be bought anywhere and need nothing more than a couple of minutes in the toaster to be ready to eat, making them one of the ultimate convenience foods. After any period of dieting, there'll come a point where I just can't resist buying a packet of crumpets, popping a couple in the toaster until they're crisp on the outside, lavishing them with butter and gorging myself on them as my reward for losing at least a little weight. Virtually unknown outside of Britain, except for in a few other English-speaking countries, crumpets are as quintessentially British as Wimbledon and the monarchy. But my love for them hasn't anything to do with nationalism. It's simply to do with the fact that they're just one of the most delicious things you can put in your mouth. There's also an element of nostalgia involved. As a child, I vividly remember eating crumpets at my grandma's, toasted on the open fire using a telescopic metal toasting fork, which I thought the height of technology. Toasted crumpets need nothing more than a thick layer of butter, salted of course, to make them perfect, but they're endlessly versatile vis-a-vis toppings too. I love marmite on crumpets even more than I love marmite on toast, and that's a lot. Pop on a poached egg and in mere minutes you've got a brilliant breakfast dish that belies its immense ease. I'm also rather fond of cutting crumpets instead of toast into soldiers to dip into soft-boiled eggs. Top a piping hot toasted crumpet with some thinly sliced or grated cheddar cheese, splash on a couple of drops of Worcestershire sauce and allow the cheese to melt, or melt it under a grill, and you have a crumpet Welsh rarebit right there. I've recently taken to topping crumpets with a tub of brown crab meat from the supermarket, seasoned with white pepper and a little English mustard, a combination my mum tells me my late grandfather was a fan of. Of course, not all toppings are savoury, and I love crumpets with honey, jam, or my favourite, bitter orange marmalade. There's something especially satisfying about how the texture of a crumpet and tang of a good marmalade go together. As for which crumpets to buy, well I have to say, I've tried a great many varieties from different supermarkets, bakeries and brands, and to be honest, I've barely noticed any difference. The beauty of crumpets is that they're so easy to make, including, I'm told, at home, although when they're under a pound a packet I don't know why you'd bother, that there's very little room for improvement. The only crumpets I have found to be noticeably any better than any others are Sainsbury's sourdough crumpets from their Taste the Difference range. They taste much like any other crumpet, but have a denser, more bread-like texture which I find holds the butter better, which is a blessing because while having butter fill every bubble in the batter is part of the pleasure of eating crumpets, having it soak through the base and run down your hands can be a very messy business. Simply buttered, savoury or sweet, as breakfast, lunch, dinner or just as a snack, I just don't think you can beat crumpets for convenience, value and downright deliciousness. And if anything's going to tempt me away from abstaining from carbs, well, what a way to pile the pounds back on. That's it for this week. Thanks ever so much for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, you can tweet me at hrwright or send me an email to hrw at hughrichardwright.com. And I hope you'll join me next week for more of Hugh's Joy of Food. <laughs>